This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market. we got a good episode to tackle here today. It's going to be on the skills for full-time trading. What do you need for full-time trading? I've dedicated a lot of episodes in the past, not a ton, but you know, a good chunk talking about full-time trading. I even did a series on it, but there's always caveats, right? And a lot of these emails, and what I like about the emails that you guys send me, and by the way, you can send me your questions, ryan at shareplanner.com. I do get them and I do read them. And uh, I usually try to put all of them on the air. So Uh, Be sure to keep sending those to me. But what I like about the emails is that they are coming from personal experiences. And these personal experiences, they create caveats or they create what ifs that I might not have tackled in a previous episode. So I really like it because it makes me think about something that I might not have considered. In this email, you're getting a little bit about. He's asking me questions that I haven't really tackled in depth yet. So this guy wants to be called Joss. He says, Joss is a city plateau in Nigeria. So that's pretty cool. Never been to Nigeria. But this guy's actually from uh, Breaking Bad, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And as for the bourbon that I'm drinking tonight, I got some good old Wild Turkey 101 Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Not one that I drink a lot of, but it's one of those things, it's dependable. Better than Jack Daniels. And I kind of put it in the same like league as like Maker's Mark, right? Not a ton of flavor to it, but it's got like this nice heat to it that I always appreciate. And in the world of bourbons, I give it like a 6-2, 6-3. It's good. You're not going to be disappointed in it. It's it's something that, you know, late at night, if you're just wanting something to take the edge off, it's good for that kind of stuff. And it's 50.5% alcohol, which makes it 101 proof, which I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, I didn't realize it was that high, but it was. Nonetheless, really good. Nice little bite to it. Not tons of flavor, but it's dependable. So we're talking about skills full-time trading. And Joss here, he sends me kind of a longer email than usual, but I, I, I don't think he's rambling at all. So I think it's worth getting through the whole thing. He says, Hey Ryan, I just finished your podcast on Spotify. Every single episode, he puts that in parentheses, which is cool, man. I, again, I'm always flattered when people actually go through and listen to every one of them. And it's funny when you listen to the older ones, like the, the change in the, in the show per se, as as time goes on, I get more comfortable with the podcast over the years, and and uh, it's not it's not so bad now. He says, and I think it's really cool that you take people's emails and answer them on the podcast. You can call me Joss. It's a plateau in Nigeria. I'm from Albuquerque, Breaking Bad, New Mexico. In addition to my original email below, I thought I would give an update with some questions, lessons, and maybe it will help other traders. Now, if you remember Joss, we did an episode on him before, right? And he was the guy that had some pretty incredible growth stories. He got lucky with Tesla by his own admission. 
And uh, he made a lot of money off of that. So he's doing good there with Tesla. He's doing good in the stock market. Trades a little bit on the volatile side. So he's now interested in becoming a full-time trader. And uh, I think this is the first time that I've done a part two on a trader, right? I don't think I've uh, done a trader part two, but we're doing one here. And he asks a lot of questions. I don't know if I'll get to each one of these questions in this particular episode, uh, but I'll, I'll try to highlight the key points. But he says, since I've been a passive trader in the past, I've missed some great opportunities so now that I am swing trading since the beginning of the year, I am learning a ton every day, especially this year. I admit I'm a Robin Hood bro, but I downloaded the Thinkorswim through TD and I'm starting to learn how to use it so that I can eventually transfer over there. Again, I don't have any relationship with TD Ameritrade. I'm like you guys, I have a brokerage account with them. Um, but I, I've been using TD Ameritrade uh, Thinkorswim platform before Thinkorswim was with TD Ameritrade, which is now with Charles Schwab. I, I always like Thinkorswim. I know it's got its flaws like any brokerage really does, but nonetheless, I mean, that's just, it's kind of one of those, kind of one of those things I'm just familiar and comfortable with. I also use TradingView since I trade during my full-time job as a project analyst on my phone. Yeah, TradingView is good. I've never used them on my phone though before, so maybe that's something I should try out. He says, my ultimate goal is to become a full-time trader, which could be possible since I'm trading with six figures, but like you said, until I get consistent gains and minimize my losses, I can't consider going full-time trading. My current issue is definitely my entry points. And even though I am using stop losses, I haven't been good about planning the trade and I'm getting stopped out all the time. The stops are really useful because I'm avoiding getting stuck in trades, holding the bag, I think you call it. Yep, I call it bag holding. I, I didn't come up with that term. That's been around for a long time. But now I need to advance my chart reading and my entry exit points. I'm starting to realize I need to devote a portion of my portfolio towards slower moving ETFs so I can get consistent results and really focus on managing risk. I am really noticing the impact of making one or multiple bad trades, and it's really causing a major drawdown. How do you feel about having a majority of the portfolio in ETFs while I'm getting better at chart reading? I've been focusing a lot more on reading charts, and I believe I am on the right track. So far, I've been following moving averages, RSI, support resistance, levels, Bollinger Bands, Trend Lines, and Volume. I am curious if you think there are good indicators to follow or if you prefer other indicators. I am also going through your videos on YouTube so I can see what you're looking at. And if you do that, you're going to see I really don't use a lot of indicators. It's really price and volume. And, uh, you know, I, I do pay attention to moving averages when they are relevant. He says, I really wish I had taken this more serious in the past and I would have dramatically improved my gains, but at least I'm taking it serious now. Thank you for all your incredible lessons and support. People like you make this world a better place. Well, I, I do appreciate that because I, I, I really enjoy this podcast. I, I enjoy interacting with you guys. Believe it or not, uh, I think when you're doing these podcasts, you have like these faces of what you think people look like and everything else in your mind. And uh, it, it's kind of like, like a fireside chat per se. In fact, I have a big screen TV because I live in Florida. You can't have fireplaces for the most part. I mean, you do, but you can't have them on like all the time. And very rarely can you have them on because it's not cold enough to have them on so i usually have like a youtube video with that sucker on i know it's corny but hey 4k kind of makes it real life so there's a lot to unpack again i may not get to all of it or i may just accidentally skip over some of it but i'm going to try to address the spirit of the email because i do think he raises some good questions in any case having enough money right he says i'm trading with six figures i want to become a full-time swing trader right but here's the thing though is that whether it's six figures or seven figures or five figures or four figures, well, it'd be kind of hard with four figures, but 
there's not like a magic number when it comes to how much money you need to become a full-time trader. A lot of it's like, what can you expect to get on a consistent basis? And that's even hard to do too, because each year the market's totally different than the year before. I mean, you look at 2020, completely different market than 2019. 2019 was entirely different than 2018. 2018 was crazy because it had that fourth quarter sell-off that just ruined a lot of people's portfolios. So you were like trading great the first three quarters of the year and then quarter four comes and it just wipes everybody out. And with that said, 2018, completely different than 2017. And 2016, I remember like 2015 was a weird year. Just market didn't really ever do anything that you expected it to do. And why do I bring that all up is because you have to be consistent in your own trading. You have to be able to be detached from what the market's doing and be patient enough and to be willing enough to wait for the opportunities to come to you. Now, in some years, there's going to be a lot more opportunities than other years. For instance, like so far this year in 2021, I'm waiting for some of these trade setups to develop. I want to take some more trade setups than what I'm doing right now, but I'm not. Why? Because the risk reward isn't there. And so while you may have like good chart reading skills and while you might be developing them. And believe me, the chart reading skills are probably one of the easier aspects of trading, to be, to be honest. It's, it's not a strong understanding of chart reading that's going to make you a full-time trader. I don't consider myself the, like the smartest person in the world. Maybe like average intellect, I'm not sure. But nonetheless, I think what, I'm not an engineer. I'm not like a scientist. I'm not a doctor or a lawyer or, or whatever. But what I do think I've, I've done that's helped serve me well in the stock market is be constantly reflecting on my approach to my trading. How am I position sizing? Because I started realizing, okay, I got all the knowledge in the world because I've studied so many books and studied so many charts. I mean, today alone, I probably looked at seven to 800 charts. I kid you not. Half the time I can tell what the charts are without even looking at what the symbol is. I know what that company's chart is because I've seen it so many times. I look at them every day, but it doesn't just stop with chart reading. It doesn't. Where it starts to get more tricky is with emotions and with position sizing. And how do you place a good stop loss? Like one of the things I would tell you is that with stop losses, and because he mentions this in the email, he has difficulty with stop losses because he's constantly getting stopped out. Well, I would tell you this, that stop losses are important, but just as important as stop losses is how you place those stop losses. A lot of people use trailing stop losses. I think that's the craziest thing in the world. It's kind of like a lazy man's way to risk management. And I don't think it's that effective. The reason why is because trailing stop losses will go up as long as the stock keeps going up. And then it just stays still wherever that happens to be. So if you get into a stock at like $95 and it puts the stop loss at around, you know, like $90 and change or whatever, and then the stock goes up to $100, then your stop loss is at $95. There may not be any legitimate price support that it's right below. It could just be in the middle of a a candle or in the middle of a rally, and it doesn't even make sense to have it there. It pulls back intraday, and all of a sudden, you're knocked out of the trade. So that's not what you want either. You need to be placing your stop losses below key supports, below key levels that if it's broken, you know that trade's time to bail on. And that's what I do with swingtradingthestockmarket.com. I really try to focus on the technicals of a stock. I try to identify like the support levels, the trend lines, where you need to be cautious about because so much of my charting isn't about like, oh, how high can this stock go? It's not about that. It's really about how can you protect your profits? How can you protect your capital on the trade once you get into it? And so with swingtradingthestockmarket.com that you can access here as part of this podcast, you're going to get my market analysis for the broader markets, which is going to be the S&P 500, the Russell, the NASDAQ multiple times each week. You're also going to get my master watch list, the stocks that I'm following. But 
You're also going to get updates on some of the real popular stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla each and every week. And then daily setups that I'm watching each and every day. And then the most important or most intriguing charts that I find that are offering opportunities for trading. So check that out, Swing Trading the Stock Market. When you join, you're also supporting the podcast as well and in the continuance of be making these podcasts a couple of times each week. So now that I've managed to incorporate that service into this podcast, let's continue to dig into Joss's email here. He wants to become a full-time trader. And, and one thing that I tell people, is it's not like an all or nothing kind of a thing, especially nowadays. When I quit my job many, many years ago, I had to make it in trading. Today, it's not so. I mean, swing trade, especially if you're not trying to be like a chronic day trader, swing trading really offers you a lot of downtime. I mean, if you're not engaged in social media and stuff like that, there's a lot of downtime to develop other skills and abilities. I mean, for me, one of the best things that I do is the podcast. I mean, I love it. If I wasn't doing the podcast, I wasn't doing shareplanner.com and and these YouTube videos, I'd probably lose my mind. Not because that I find swing trading boring per se, but it's just that there's a lot of downtime. Swing trading at its finest is kind of boring because it becomes more systematic. It becomes more waiting and waiting and not just having to trade because you feel that need for the action. I've had plenty of action in my life in terms of let me clarify that. I've had plenty of action in the stock market. I've traded pretty much everything out there. I don't I don't need the adrenaline rush that comes with jumping into one of these high flyer stocks. I see how they play out. I see it right now with the EV stocks and how you know they have their these nice run-ups and then you get caught in at the top and then you have a big pullback and you're down 30 or 40% before you know it. You don't believe me. Look at look at a stock recently that just went nuts. Uh overstock.com. I mean, it's not an EV stock, but uh, you get the picture, look at the chart. It just goes straight up, straight back down. You had that with um, FUBO. I mean, you just have it constantly, right? You had it with Bitcoin a few years ago. I know Bitcoin's at crazy all-time highs right now, but eventually that's going to have a pullback too. I don't need that rush. I don't need that inability to sleep at night because I don't know if I just got into the worst trade of my life or the best trade of my life. What I want to do is make consistent gains. You got to remember that with full-time trading, you don't have to put all your pressure on yourself to, to make the gains. It actually opens the doors for you to engage a little bit in your entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, like I said, I do I do podcasting, I do YouTube videos, and I have the trading block, and I love it. I love all of that. It's like makes trading so much more fun. But for others, you might have another skill set. I mean, there's so many different things out there like podcasting, like Etsy, right? I mean, people sell things on Etsy. I mean, you can freaking knit and sell things on Etsy, right? If you wanted to. I mean, there's just so many different things. There's opportunities out there for you to develop skills or to basically use the time, the downtime in your trading to actually amplify some other skills. And uh, it takes a little bit of the pressure off with your full-time trading. And that's a good thing. You don't have to put unnecessary amounts of trading on yourself. And you got to remember too, like if you're trading with a $100,000 portfolio, and that's a good good trading capital right there. But if you want to make $70,000 a year just off your trading so that you can live on it, well, guess what? you got to make a 70% return on the stock market. And then if you want to keep growing your portfolio at the same time, well, you also need a much bigger return than 70%. You might need 80 or 90% to, to keep growing your portfolio on a yearly basis. So that's a lot of pressure to say, okay, I'm going to go full-time trading and I'm going to be almost doubling my account every single year. You don't want that kind of pressure. So you want to make sure that your approach to trading is able to yield you a decent income without putting too much pressure on yourself. I mean, you can't judge it off of 2020 because if you got into the market 
and you didn't know what you were doing and you just got into it and, and said, okay, I'm buying SQ at the March lows or I'm buying overstock at the March lows. And you watch this market just go to, you know, infinity or Tesla or whatever. And all of a sudden you got all this capital in your portfolio. Well, that's not what is normal for the market. I mean, 2020 was probably the most bizarre year of trading I have ever seen. I think 2008 was pretty bizarre. I remember 2014 being pretty bizarre. I think 2016 and uh, actually 2017 was kind of bizarre just because how the market reacted with um, the election and everything else from 2017. So that was that was interesting in and of itself as well. So, I mean, you have bizarre years, but no bizarre year is like another bizarre year. 2020 was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, the, just the massive sell-off back in February and March and the subsequent rally that nobody really saw coming. So you have all of that, but and, and you can't base your trading ability off of 2020. So if you're new to trading, yes, there was a lot of experiences that you were able to, to take in. I think there was a lot of development that you could do in 2020 because there was major sell-offs and major rallies and everything in between. But you need to see what other years are like too before you can say, you know what, I got what it takes to become a full-time trader. If I knew how hard it was when I quit my my job, it was a decent paying job. But if I knew how hard that was to become a full-time trader, I might have been scared off and never quit, you know, because it is hard. It's it's not the easiest thing I've ever done. And there was times where I thought, you know what? I don't know if I'm cut out for this. He also talks about indicators, right? And I've always felt like indicators are better for references rather than like trade signals. I know some people trade off of MACD and they trade off of RSI. That's the two that I usually see the most people email me about RSI and MACD, RSI, MACD, MACD, RSI. They're, they're kind of overused in my opinion. I think that a lot of the information you get from MACD and um, RSI can be found basically with price action. I have stochastics on my charts, but I, I don't reference it a ton. I Sometimes I'll like to see whether or not, okay, has it been sitting in overbought territory for the last two months? Um, and if so, maybe, maybe I pass on that particular trade or is the stock bottoming and showing a little bit of reversal on the stochastics? But I don't make my trading signals off of stochastics, right? And I don't think you should do that off of MACD and RSI. I think they're good references, but I don't necessarily think that that's what you want to be basing your trades off of. Now, different strokes for different folks. Everybody can come up with different ideas and strategies. And if it works, it works. I'm just telling you from personal experience. I think indicators are better for references, like Bollinger Bands, for instance, right? Uh, Sometimes if I've seen the stock that I'm in that goes up like 30 or 40% and it's just ripping the faces off of shorts, right? I'll put some Bollinger Bands on the chart just to see, okay, is it way outside its standard deviations? Because that's what Bollinger Bands are really, right? Like standard deviations. So um, if it goes way outside of its standard deviations and it doesn't have a history of trading well outside of a two standard deviations, for instance, then maybe I start taking some profits off the table and see how much further the rest of the position wants to run. It's good to be able to take as much emotion out of the trading. Like I've said in other podcasts, we're humans. We can't completely escape emotions. We're emotional people. God created us that way. But I also know, too, that these same emotions can really wreak havoc on your portfolio. That's why I like to take profits along the way in my trading. I like to take profits, you know, sometimes, you know, after three or 4% up on the trade. And then, you know, I get into double digits. I oftentimes like to take another, you know, third or a half off the table there. And then I'll let the rest run. And then it gives you, some freedom to really let a stock really go to heights. Yeah, I know it's not the original size position, 
But oftentimes when we're trading a full-size position, when we get completely in and then get completely out, and I always get completely in on a trade. I don't ease into a trade. It's all in on a trade, not all in on a portfolio. But if I'm like putting X amount of dollars on every one of my trades, I'm going to go all of that on, on the initial buy because I have confidence of where I'm getting in at, right? I, I believe that the stock is at a place where it should rally. So I put my full position on and then I start scaling out of it as it shows me to be more and more right. And then when I get to that last third or last half or a last quarter of a position, it's really freeing because I already know that I've made my profit on the trade. And it's like, I'm letting the rest run. I want to see how far it can go. I'll keep raising my stop loss where I can, but I don't have to worry about my winning trade turning into a losing trade because I've booked enough profits along the way. Like I said, this, this podcast episode, I feel like I'm going all over the place on this particular one. I'm like, I'm jumping around all over different subjects here, but you ask a lot of good questions. So I don't mind addressing them all. Um, I think it's useful for you guys, even if I've repeated some of it in previous episodes for you guys to hear it again, because oftentimes we learn by hearing things multiple times over and over again, like manage the risk, because I pretty much say that in every one of my episodes. So I need to say it again, just so I can keep my streak alive. And remember, knowledge is important. You know, chart reading is important, but don't use it to justify what you want to do. Let chart reading be used in a way that keeps you out of trades that you shouldn't be getting into. Charts that show you, okay, there's a lot of people piling into the stock. It's way overextended. I don't need to taste that. A lot of times people look at a chart and like, oh, well, it's bullish, so I should go ahead and buy it. You don't want to be buying it for those reasons. You want to be buying it because the charts tell you to be buying it, not just because uh, you're using it as confirmation bias. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave me a review. Those things really do encourage me along the way. I know um, people act like they don't read reviews. I do read them because it does encourage me. Um, I take it to heart. Sometimes it hurts my feelings, what people will say. But uh, no, I, I really I really do appreciate what you guys do to encourage me to continue to do this stuff. I love it. I really do. And the, to know that I'm helping you guys out means the world to me. It makes me think, man, I've actually accumulated some skills. Skills that make me, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to go Liam Neeson. But, but it's been great to be able to help you guys over the years. And it's only gotten better and better. So make sure to, to continue to support the podcast, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. And also on my uh, on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to it on. Leave a good review. Helps me there. Follow, subscribe, whatever you got to do. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead Sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.